Welcome to the Failing Forward podcast. Media, can you please introduce yourself for our audience today? Okay. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Media Majikanga. I'm based in Zimbabwe. I'm doing a project called Support to COVID-19 Early Recovery for Urban Communities. And I am a project field assistant and a gender focal point person for the project. I currently stay in Mitai. So uh, talk to us a little bit about the context you're working in. Okay. Um, the context that we're working in is that uh, in Zimbabwe, we are post-COVID uh, restrictions in such a way that we, are, um, we were affected by COVID-19. Then we went into lockdowns. Uh, that was 2020, 2021, and thereabouts. Right now in 2022, we are facing um, challenges of poverty. Um, also, um, you know, we're trying to recover from COVID-19's effects, uh, such as issues of drug abuse, um, gender-based violence are really rampant in the area. You know, schools are still trying to do some catch-up strategies, issues of child marriages are very rapid at the moment. Um, so um, that is the kind of contact that we are working on. Um, so at the moment for our project, we are actually working with vendors and um, vendors, we are seeing that um, they even registered their businesses uh, under their husband's names, you know. So um, that is the part the kind of context that we have that um, males are more dominant in everything that we do than the, than the women there. So that will lead to some inequalities and maybe um, issues of gender-based violence. And so the project that you work on, tell us a little bit about what the goals are for the project and how you're doing it. The goal is to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and also support early recovery for vulnerable um, non-farming households in the urban growth points. So we're actually doing it in peri-urban areas. Uh, it's targeting four areas, which is uh, Chiri, uh, Zaka, Boera, and Mutai uh, here in Zimbabwe. So um, the, the, the project that I'm doing has three purposes, which which is the first one, which is multi-purpose cash assistance. Uh, we're actually providing cash um, to various uh, vendors across the um, across these four districts. Our target is 1,400 vendors, which we managed to uh, distribute our cash to. Then the second purpose is on health, on risk communication and community engagement about issues of COVID-19, whereby we are doing a risk communication uh, activities, which are like door-to-door -door awarenesses of COVID-19. We are also doing awarenesses of shoppers and traders. We're doing outside broadcasting radio programs. We are also doing fun uh, messaging to ensure that uh, vaccinations have increased, to ensure vaccinations have increased and also awareness of COVID-19 uh, issues. Then the third one is WASH, whereby we are saying that we are targeting um, 47,000 people in our community. Uh, in urban trading centers to, to have adequate wash facilities. So what we did, we actually provided um, wash facilities and washing stations. Then for, for their public toilets, we even provided um, uh, materials uh, so that they could be able to clean and also clean their surroundings. So that's basically what we are doing uh, as a project. So some of the things that we even adapted for the project is um, to talk about issues of measles. As you know, in uh, 
um, in Zimbabwe at the moment we have an outbreak of measles, so we added it on on our project. So that's basically an overall goal of the project. And let's talk a little bit about the cash transfers. How were those set up and who did they go to? The cash transfers were mainly for vendors for recovery, for COVID recovery. So what we noticed um, as a project is that most vendors were affected by COVID-19 during the lockdown. We have uh, vendors that sell perishable goods in uh, Zimbabwe. Those ones were told uh, to stop selling uh, at some point during the lockdowns. They stopped selling, so the perishable goods went, they rot, and so they they actually went, and the, their businesses went under. And some of them were to sell from eight to three, and yet uh, social norms in Zimbabwe, people usually uh, buy, buy uh, perishable goods around 4 and 5 p.m., but those vendors weren't allowed to sell then, so they businesses also went under. Then for non-perishable goods vendors, these ones were affected because um, they were logged for almost six months out of business. And yet um, authorities say they wanted their monies for uh, their monthly installments uh, on, on time, despite that they weren't selling. So the, that one affected their businesses and most of them, they couldn't man- they didn't manage to go back to the market. So the cash transfer was there to assist these vendors to come back to the market, to, to, to revive themselves. So they were given at $20 per person times five per household. This was a multi-purpose cash transfer. It wasn't conditional. So anyone would use it for either to revive their business or pay for school fees or pay debts or whatever she feels if she feels to she she should use the money. So um the cash assistance we managed to give them for three cycles uh, per person. So each person would get for example uh one person where they live uh five feet above they will get hundred dollars per month for three months. So this money was there for recovery to recover from the COVID effects that they were affected on. So yeah, we managed to get so many uh, positive outcomes from that. Uh, some of them even had debts, they managed to pay back. Some of them, they revived their business. Some of them, they weren't even back on business after the COVID lockdowns. So we managed to track them down and get them back to the business. And you also faced some obstacles. There were some challenges in that programming. Tell us a little bit about what some of the problems were. During cash transfer, um, some of the challenges that we had were, you know, um, issues of proxies um, that uh, someone doesn't have an ID uh, would assist that person to, you know, um, uh, you, you, you couldn't say that a proxy could obtain money from them because um, there were, we had one one case in Chile whereby um, a person collected money from another for another person. Then that person was like a male a male guy, a relative took uh, he, he collected money for a woman who was a vendor. Then that person um, refused to give. Um, the, the vendor her money. So uh, we had to engage the um, district stakeholders to ensure that um, the money was, uh, to, to ensure that the, the, the woman managed to get her money back. Um, it was an issue of gender-based violence and uh, it was uh, resolved that way. So um, we engaged the district stakeholders. Then also after that, we advocated for uh, the district 
headquarters to assist uh, these people who didn't have IDs to collect their IDs. Yeah, those are some of the issues that we got uh, during the cash transfers. Um, then we also, um, during um, some um, uh, consultations that we did in the community, for example, the RIGA, it was the rapid gender analysis. We did it just before the cash transfers to try to check out the issues that are available uh, that might uh, that might be an effect, that might cause an effect during cash transfers. We actually noticed that um, cases of GBV in the area are not being reported. Um, the, the women uh, in the area actually highlighted that um, they have so many uh, gender-based violence cases that they have witnessed, but they are fearing to report uh, to the authorities. Um, some of the issues why they didn't want to report was that um, some of the security forces people are also perpetrators. Um, uh, the men, they fear that if they actually report their husbands, um, the husbands would be locked away and they won't be able to, to their marriages might actually be broken. And also uh, some cultural influences. Um, we have a culture here called the apostolic sect, whereby they actually um, restrict women from, um, from reporting this kind of cases. So this was um, a challenge which uh, we actually rectified much uh, later in our, in our project through um, social analysis, whereby we managed to do gender dialogues, trying to air out such kind of issues so that they'll be able to be talked about freely during, uh, sorry, um, they, they will be able to be talked about freely uh, during the project. Then also there was an issue whereby um, most of our vendors, they had, um, they had uh, registered their stalls uh, with their husband's names and surname. Um, you find that uh, most female offenders, they prefer to register at the council with their husband's name, or maybe it's, I don't think it's a preference per se, but it's usually, uh, they actually take it as a family business, then they register the husband name, but it's the woman who owns the business, and it's the woman who actually works, it's the woman and children actually who works at the business. The husband won't even be working there, he or she would have, he would have his own, um, uh, workplace, if he, even if he's a vendor, he would have his own store, but even the female um, store would be registered in the male's, in the male's name. So uh, we had to uh, talk to the RDC, the, the Road District Council, and tell them that we are, as a project, we are going to register the person who owns the store, not the person who is registered at the Road District Council, because we want to empower the person who's actually working at the store, not the person who is uh, who just has his name there, because it would create problems in potential uh, protection issues whereby the money, the cash would actually uh, get to the husband before it gets to the actual owner. So we actually advise the IRDC that we are going to register the person who owns the store, not the person who, um, who, who is it's registered there. Then also there's an issue of, um, well, I think I've, I've mentioned it, the issue of gender-based violence. As a project, we actually decided that um, we're going to mainstream um, issues of GBV 
every on every uh, trainings that we are going to do. So we actually started retraining um, committees, uh, adding a portion of uh, a, a section of gender-based violence, the referral pathway system. You know, trying to um, to 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 empower these uh, women to ensure that they be able to report these issues. We did the same for uh, trainings for village health workers, for the trainings of youth volunteers who were doing risk communication, so that they'll be able to um, send out flyers and talk a little bit about um, referral pathway systems, so that they be able to empower so many women and girls in the community. Yeah. And were you always planning to have those pieces with the referral pathways and the different interventions around gender equality and gender-based violence, or did you have to change them partway through? Um, for um, for most of them, we 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 hadn't planned for them. So during the design stage of the project, we only had the rapid gender analysis as uh, a gender piece that we we're going to do. Then also trainings of gender and accountability focal point person who were mainly for gender related issues at the market. Then accountability issues at the market. Then we are also going to create a referral pathway system. So those were the three activities that we had for the project, mainly for gender and for gender issues uh, and issue of gender-based violence. So the gen, uh, gender, for gender-based violence, we were just going to do a referral pathway system whereby we're going to take the issues, either it's a victim-friendly unit at the police department or it's uh, for the health services uh, department or maybe social welfare, that was it. But for us um, as a project, we decided to do more. Uh, we did a gender and brief to try to assess the issue situation at the ground, right at the beginning. So when we did our rapid gender analysis, that's when we actually noticed that um, through uh, some gender dialogues that we did under the rapid gender analysis, that when we saw that our protection concerns were real, they were real, and culture of keeping quiet, whether it happens, uh, whenever it happens, meant that they did not any pursue any medical or psychological support for themselves, for these women. So we actually noticed during the rapid gender analysis that ah, these protection issues were even, they were more than what we, 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 we saw. And we noticed that with the, with the injection of cash, the GBV cases were going to rise. And some the, the other reason that we, we decided to do uh, more on social action analysis and more, and more activities on gender was that um, on our referral pathway systems, only three cases were reported the whole four districts. And yet on the rapid gender analysis, there were the most women highlighted that um, gender-based violence cases are to men. So some of them, you would hear from, from them through, through, through discussions. Then when you try to probe further to understand the issues, you wouldn't, they would, they would then close up, they wouldn't talk about them in, in public. Like on one-on-one -on -one basis, they wouldn't even talk about it. So we decided to, 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 to increase our activities on our gender as a project. So the other thing was uh, we, we then, uh, there was another innovation that we did was um, 
uh, club survey, whereby it is called um, Knowledge Leadership Attitude and Practice Survey. We're trying to, to gauge um, issues of attitude and behaviors of people, if there is any behavior change in the middle of the project. So when we, when we did that uh, survey, we actually noticed that um, issues of GBV are still high and they're still not being reported. So that's when we decided that uh, we want to do um, social engine and analysis uh, for, the, for the project. So um, for social engine analysis, we actually did uh, select topics that were ma mainly relevant to our target audience. So our topics were mainly um, issues of GBV, gender-based violence, um, household financial control, um, roles and responsibility in the household, issues of ownership of product, productive and non-productive assets, you know, and we did it in collaboration with our sister projects such as Start for Girls and Takunda, you know, to ensure that uh, continuity happens even after uh, the project was done. So that's how we did it. It wasn't something that was planned at the beginning at design stage even at proposal stage it wasn't there but we just we we noticed that due to the high cases of gender-based violence and inequalities that are in the community we had to do uh, further gender dialogues such as the social action and analysis and how did you realize that so it wasn't something you'd planned originally and you saw that there were really high cases what were some of the data points or experiences that convinced you you needed to change? Uh, for us, it was mainly um, through our researches that I had mentioned that we did. Um, the first research was on gender and brief. Uh, it was the gender and brief that, um, you know, in Zimbabwe, we have a, a Zimbabwe uh, um, National Gender and Brief, which was produced by uh, Angeline and Tim, uh, the case Zimbabwe Gender Court. Then, um, for us as a project, we decided that we wanted to research more so that we can know what's the situation like, especially with COVID-19. Um, so it was just a, uh, a, a plain document trying to assess how we, where we are as, as, as in our specific district areas. So that's, that, uh, that document actually opened up on issues that um, gender-based violence is still very prevalent in women, and uh, and women are, are, more, are mostly on the receiving end of abuse. So that was the first highlight for the project. Then the second one was on a rapid gender analysis that we conducted. The gender dialogues actually um, create, it, it was an, an eye-opener for us as it uh, opened up uh, issues of protection concerns for women. So we actually noticed that most women are much more comfortable to talk about these issues um, when, when they are engaged in a dialogue than uh, on one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so if you see um, for Zimbabwe, even uh, in vaccinations of maybe immunization for children, you'll find that um, most uh, women are afraid to even come with their children to vaccinate them at the clinic. You would have to go for outreaches and the children, the adult children, maybe around six to eight years old for uh, vaccinations like measles, they would actually come to get vaccinated alone than, than come with their mothers. 
I think it's it's an it's a it's a it's a cultural issue. So um that's when we noticed that uh women uh when if you want to engage them on issues of GBV, encourage them to report and whatnot, the best way to get them to talk about issues is through gender dialogues. And if you had to make a recommendation to other people running projects, particularly cash transfer projects, based on your experience, what would you recommend? Um, personally, I my my learning point was that um, gender dialogues are essential in opening issues uh, in areas where you know uh, there are there may be cultural differences or cultural hindrances that are avoiding them to report. You know, gender, gender GBV issues are there, but um, some people are afraid to to report them. So getting engaging them in dialogues, in gender dialogues such, such as uh, social action analysis. You know, using those uh, activities, then discussing at the end, it might actually help them to open up a lot so that you know you get to address the real concerns uh, in the in the community so my advice is just uh, to to start a dialogue gender dialogues at the beginning of the project you know train your um your facilitators um then uh, start conversations you know you might start with the basic conversations maybe uh in the manual then uh through the reactions of the uh, community you then uh, schedule uh, two directions and feedbacks from the community, then schedule a topic that is specifically uh, directed to the needs of the community. I think it will actually go a long way in helping our communities. Thank you for sharing that. And when you think about what was the most important thing you learned, what would you say? I think what I, the most important thing that I learned is that we are far, far, far away from um, transforming these communities, you know, um, and sometimes what we think uh, we know is very different from what's on the ground. You know, these women might actually still be abused and we think um, this is what we've done and, you know, we have, uh, we have help them you know if you give someone even cash you think ah this person you know she doesn't have money and you give her money so um things are going to go well for her then when you notice that um there are still so many underlying uh gender related factors that are still um obstacles to her you know it breaks your heart so i i just feel like uh what i really learned is that um we really need to address these uh, issues uh, that happens uh, indoors in one way or the other. Well, thank you so much.